on this edition of the Boise Dev Podcast. It's uh, table tennis for me. I'm going to be doing play-by-play for all of NBC Olympics coverage of table tennis. Chris Lewis, the voice of the Boise State Broncos for women's basketball and Olympic sports. And speaking of the Olympics, he was just named to host table tennis for NBC during this year's coverage of the Summer Olympics. We had a wide-ranging conversation with Chris, including about the lack of play-by-play announcers of color in major college sports, what to look forward to now that COVID-19 is ending, and of course, about what to expect from him this summer during the Tokyo Olympics. My conversation with Chris Lewis is next. This is the Boise Dev Podcast. Here's your host, Don Day. Chris Lewis, thanks for joining us on the Boise Dev Podcast. Appreciate it. Glad to be here. Glad to be downtown. Great office, great views. It's awesome. I love being down here. Um, So I was excited to talk to you. I saw the announcement from NBC Olympics of their lineup of announcer talent this year. I used to cover the Olympics Channel 7 and just love it. And so I'm excited to chat with you. Tell us what you're going to be doing for the Tokyo Olympics this year. Table tennis. It's uh, table tennis for me. I'm going to be doing play-by-play for all of NBC Olympics coverage of table tennis. It's a sport that I'm not exactly an expert in by any stretch. Um, You know, it's one where I'm going to have to learn and I've been learning throughout the uh, weeks since I've learned the assignment. But with table tennis, there's men's table tennis, there's women's, there's the team for men and women, and then there's also mixed doubles. So it's five different tournaments that are going on and I'm excited to get to work on prep and then getting a chance to do it out of Stanford, Connecticut, which is uh, where NBC is doing their remote broadcast. So tell us how that works. You're not, you're not going to Tokyo Mm -hmm. for the, so you're not going to Tokyo for the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, which are in 2021. You're going to be in Connecticut in 2021, but you're not a year late. How's that? How's that work? Well, I'm looking forward to learning a lot about the process too. I'm by no means an expert on it yet. And NBC has done a great job of providing different information to me uh, throughout these last few weeks, but certainly still have a lot to learn. But from what I understand, they have a basically remote broadcast headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut, and uh, they do a lot of their Olympics coverage out of there. Um, They're going to have a lot of different locations to where they have remote broadcasts, but for a lot of their coverage, uh, Stanford, Connecticut is the hub of it. So you'll be able to see the feed, Mm -hmm. call the action, and then you're going to be on NBCSN. Is that kind of the primary spot? Um, Well, I'm looking forward to learning that, too. I think uh, NBC had released a press release saying at least some of it will be on NBC Sports Network. Um, But, you know, this is a 13-hour time difference. These are things that are sometimes live, sometimes not live, sometimes packaged within other programming. So I give credit to all the producers and all the -the behind-the-scenes people at NBC each and every Olympic cycle, how they figure that out, what they decide to put where, how they put certain sports on different networks and uh, how it all makes sense in the end. I have no idea how they do it. So I'm just looking forward to learning uh, just a little bit about how they do it while I also try to learn as much about table tennis as possible. And I mean, it's that thing, right, that nobody ever watches table tennis on TV, but every four years it's like, oh, the Olympics, I'm going to watch this random sport I've never watched, like Mm -hmm. the the Winter Olympics. It's always sort of cliche now to say I'm going to watch curling. But like in the Summer Olympics, there's just that huge array of sports. Um, Do you kind of think the audience will come along with you and learn on that journey as you kind of figure it out? 
that's what makes this one of the most unique assignments that I've ever had. And that's why I'm really excited to just get to do this is because like usually when you're doing a sport, you know that the audience is somewhat, you know, relatively diehard about it. Like, you know, when you're calling a Boise State sport, like I've called a bunch of Boise State sports and you could take that the audience knows what basketball is. The audience knows what Boise State is. The audience knows what the Mountain West is. For the most part, I mean, you still want to explain as much as you can, but there is a certain baseline knowledge that is expected for the audience who is tuning into your broadcast for this. Like one of the things like I've been told is that, you know, imagine, you know, your mom on the on the couch channel surfing throughout the Olympics and she doesn't know anything about the sport, doesn't know anything about the athletes, doesn't really know how the rules work. Why should they stick with table tennis? Why should they care about the two or the four people competing or, you know, the countries that are involved? Is there any history? So like, it'll be fun to, in a way, I don't want to say like simplify it because that sounds bad, but yeah, it's in a way you're simplifying a broadcast, but you're also bringing in stories and personal backgrounds and other elements. I'm just can't wait to dive in and tell all those stories. So table tennis is kind of a, an interesting sport, right? Yeah. I mean, we're not talking about John McEnroe out on the court. We're talking about people sort of standing in front of a table, like you might in the rec room in the basement, or have you started to get into the nuance of that sport and kind of try to figure that out? I mean, what's well, what, what makes that tick? Great things about this is that I'm going to be working with a color announcer, Sean O'Neill, who's a former United States Olympian table tennis player, one of the best that this country's ever produced. And he's also done the Olympics the last three, at least, uh, uh, you know, Olympic cycles that there has been table tennis. So I can do my best to rely on him to go into the ins and outs, the strategy, you know, the real nuances of the game. And for me, like I'm going to focus on what I know, which is the storyline, storytelling, and making the audience care about the individuals uh, who are competing. But that isn't to say that, yes, I still have a lot to learn about the game. And so I've never had a table tennis or ping pong table in my basement. Uh, you know, my parents never played it. Um, I think I've picked it up maybe once or twice in my life. So I don't, I can't pretend to be an expert on it. That's not my role. My role is not to be an expert. Uh, my role is to be a play-by-play announcer, and I can rely on the expert who is with me to be an expert. And it's my job to lead him down the right path to uh, make sure that we get the most out of him. Because, again, it's going to be great working with one of the best table tennis players that this country has ever produced. How many matches will you do over the course of the- Oof, A lot. <laughs> probably the best way to do it. And, uh, you know, the 13-hour time difference makes it so, you know, I want to be working mostly at night and, um, you know, middle of the night and following along the brackets but um you know when you have over 64 on each for the singles and then you have team events which are 16 teams so there's just a lot that i have to learn i have a prep document that i'm working on at this moment which i've done i think 40 or 50 men's names i still need to do women's names and i are still about like 20 or 25 of men's names that i still have to learn and learn how to pronounce so yeah it's a lot and again it's fun this is why uh this is why you 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 know go to college this is why you dream of 
doing play-by-play when you're 10 years old and you're doing play-by-play of Madden uh, while your friends are playing it because you get assignments like this. It's, so it's like your own little July madness. Yeah, exactly. July, August it, madness. It's yeah. July. Maybe you should use that as a nickname of sorts. Have some kind of madness attached. There you go. There you go. What does it mean? I mean, this is a big deal for you. You've, I mean, you've done a lot. You look mm. at your bio and your resume. You've done a lot of play-by-play uh, here in Boise and really across the region. But you're on a team now with like Mike Tirico and Beth Mowens and 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 you know I wrote names down because I knew it, like Tony Hawk is on. I mean, <laughs> but you got these like these big names and you're on this team now. What, is, what does it mean for you to be doing national TV? I mean, it's definitely uh, humbling is probably the best word to use. Uh, you know, you're honored to be on a list with them, but like I'm not them, so uh, you know, still just remind yourself like who you are. Like I'm still uh, you know play by play announcer who's just trying to get better at doing their job and just wants to do the best job that I can to make NBC and everyone proud of the production. And that's what I've learned so far throughout my different meetings and seminars that I've been a a part of. They're really passionate. Everybody who is talking about this is just so passionate about every element of the Olympics. So I just don't want to, you know, let anybody down. I want to make sure that I hold up the kind of standard that they're looking for uh, when they choose their talent. So I'm looking forward to the challenge. It looks like China is kind of the dominant dominant force here they won i mean i I was going back through like wikipedia and they like sweep the medals Mm -hmm. going back like four and five and six olympics do you expect that to kind of be the case here any team usa glimmers of hope maybe there canuck jaw is the top ranked men's player he's i think 30th right now in the uh world ranking so i mean if there is a hope to have a cinderella story that will be great because then all of a sudden all the attention will be on table tennis and i would love that that'd be awesome but uh, this is a sport that China has dominated throughout your right. And, um, you know, they're expected to do the same. There's actually a change in this, well, not a recent change, but they had changed in the singles that used to be so dominated by uh, like one country dominated by China that they would sweep the medal podium. They would have gold, they would have silver, they would have bronze. And a couple of Olympic cycles ago, they changed the rule to make it so you can only have two from a nation in the bracket. So they can't sweep the podium. So um, you could have two members of China in the championship, uh, but the bronze medal match wouldn't have anybody from China in it. So they recognize the dynasty, if you will, that was uh, you know China doing an excellent job of just sweeping everything with table tennis, and they made a tweak to open it up and make it a little bit more exciting. Yeah, more interesting, so yeah. it's not kind of the same. So, you know, you, um, you've got kind of an interesting path that led you to Boise. Uh, Philly guy, is that right? South Jersey, right outside of Philly, but I like okay. to claim Philly. Yeah, well, yeah. I like to claim yeah. it. <laughs> and then you you went to Syracuse. Yes. And and then you came to Idaho. So tell us, and not Boise, but you came to Idaho. Tell us about that first stop and how you came yeah. to the state after college. The joke is, I always say, I lost a bet. And uh, no, no, that, was, <laughs> that wasn't it. That wasn't it. No, it's been great. But um, so, yeah, I'm one of those, you know, East Coast sports fans. And they have their own reputation, especially over these last few weeks where we've had all these fan incidents. And now... Everybody's like, what is going on with uh, these East Coast fans throwing stuff and all that? But, uh, you know, sports means more uh, back there in the East. Yeah. They didn't know what to do. They were stuck in their house for so long that they didn't know what to do when they were with a group of people. So, But, no, um, you know, grew up a Philadelphia Phillies and Sixers fan. And uh, not really an Eagles fan, but loved the NFL and not as much into hockey. But uh, Philadelphia sports fan, knew I wanted to do sports broadcasting since I was really young. 
young. I, you know, I went to a bunch of basketball camps growing up. There was one week where there was no basketball camp for my mom to sign me up for. Both my parents worked, so it was like, all right, what are we going to do with them today? There's no basketball camp. Oh, look, there's a sports broadcasting camp uh, run by Jeremy Treatment and Scholastic Play-By-Play. So that's what I did for a week, and I loved it. It was so fun. You know, got to meet a bunch of announcers, the people who I see on TV. I'm like, yeah, that's something I would want to do if I don't make the NBA. I never made the NBA. <laughs> Spoiler alert, didn't make the NBA. Uh, didn't really make it past my freshman year of high school playing basketball. So and as soon as I you know, stopped playing, went over to do my high school games for football and basketball. Knew that Syracuse is where I wanted to go just because all the other people who wanted to go to Syracuse and who have gone to Syracuse and have you know been calling games and play-by-play and on TV and on the radio. So Syracuse is where I always wanted to go. Fortunate enough to get in. The you know four years there was just awesome. So many great people who I've met there, and there were people who I've learned from, and uh, the, the culture there makes it so that you really have to love it to make it through the student media that is there, and the student radio stations, the student TV stations. Uh, it's something that. I think is why you see so many Syracuse people doing big things in media because of the competitive nature of it. And I, I love that environment. It was so fun. I learned so much and I was fortunate enough. My you know first job at a Syracuse really before I even graduated was in Idaho Falls doing minor league baseball for the Royals affiliate out there. Now, no longer Royals affiliate, the uh, Idaho Falls Chuckers. And, you know, two summers out there uh, after the first summer, the Boise State job open for women's basketball. Chris Kane left to go to Idaho, and uh, proximity always helps. Uh, you know, friendship with Bob Beeler always helps <laughs> that too. So uh, you know, they're looking for somebody, and I could drive over, meet some people, and before you knew it, I was the Boise State number two announcer. So just continuing to build off from there. Um, you know, East Coast, no connections to Idaho before I came out here, but fortunate enough to get a couple of things and let that build off into another thing and just kind of build it up from the from the ground you've been here a while now yeah 2013 is when i graduated so summer 2013 was my first year in idaho falls went back to the philly area and then went back to boise for that basketball season um then went back to idaho falls for 2014 and then i think i've been full-time in idaho since then so you're the you're the voice of the broncos for the the women's sports and some of the olympic sports and and you've been at that but you've you've done you looked at your resume online it's like you've called the hawks and you've done mountain west network stuff and but one of the things that, that you've been i think outspoken about and people have have really talked about you is really the lack of representation for um, really anyone of color in play-by-play in college sports. Yeah. And how do you look at that? And, and as somebody, I think, who would love to break into that, what? how do you kind of look at that? Piece? Well, it's complicated. And I know, you know a year ago, uh, we're recording this in early June, it was last June where you know, George Floyd murder happened and a lot of people had kind of a recognition of the systemic issues that have been in this country that have in a way limited some opportunities for black people to have certain jobs or to put themselves in a better position professionally. So, 
you know, that <laughs> you can, how far do you want to take this back in a way is, uh, you know, you're part of it. But, you know, like some of the simple things about like this job, and I've mentioned, I, my background, I got to go to Syracuse. I have both my parents who were both working and both professionals and they could afford to send me to Syracuse. I could afford to take an internship with the Born Braves in the Cape Cod Baseball League that didn't pay anything and I could do a job at Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> during the uh, off days, but that wasn't paying for housing. Like Housing on Cape Cod during the summer, you know how expensive that is? Like, that's ridiculous. But my parents helped me out with that. And like th- those kind of opportunities, like that's what it takes to make it quite a bit in the broadcast industry and you've been a part of it and the media side as well. It's the same thing on the TV side. It's the same thing for a lot of the radio positions or team positions that you have to take a lot of low paying, non-paying internships, jobs, and not everybody is in a position that they can take those things. And, um, you know, the unpaid internship is a controversial topic and I think that's one of the things that leads to the industry looking like what it looks like predominantly the people who can afford to take those kind of positions aren't black people aren't minorities and why is that the case well you know you're going back you know different generations to our country's history to recognize like the kind of things that have happened to put ourselves in the position that we're in right now so I've been really lucky I've been really fortunate and like I want to see more people who look like me and it's important for sports coverage too. I mean, like this is an industry in sports, especially in college sports. It's an interesting dynamic where a lot of college campuses are in white areas uh, where you have a lot of black athletes. So who's, yeah, Boise is the prime example of it. You know, this is a state, you probably know the numbers, what, 1% black? Is it that? Yeah. And yeah, you have a football team that's really popular with a lot of black players, basketball team, a lot of black players. So all across the athletic department, a lot of black people. And who's telling their stories for the most part? Uh, It looks like a lot of white people. That's not just to Boise either. It's all over the place. And I think it's important for, you know, you to have a real understanding. And, you know, the Naomi Osaka thing is one of the more recent examples of uh, the imbalance of does the media exactly represent or come from the same background as a lot of these players and what happens when there is a disconnect, you get a misunderstanding that causes Naomi Osaka to pull out of the French Open, right? Like you have, uh, you know, there's a lot of examples throughout sports. There was a Chuba Hubbard for Oklahoma State when Mike Gundy, who was the coach at Oklahoma State, had some, uh, you know, wardrobe choices that were (laughs) deemed unacceptable by a lot of the black players for Oklahoma State. So like, who are the people who are telling those stories, I think is important because that adds a certain context to the way the public receives it. And the media we're part of the media the media framing the discussion is such a big deal to me and I think we could use a little bit more diversity when it comes to who's telling these stories yeah I mean I think that that I don't give a lot of opinions but I think that that cuts across the whole media landscape in in the Boise area it's very white um, and what representation it is 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 really mostly Latinx it's there's very few people of color beyond people who are are Latino and Latina and and it does make a difference right especially when you're talking about covering 
Boise State football. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's it's there's there's not a lot of white people. It's, exactly. And so then, but the storytellers are, and it's not again nothing against the who we all know, and if any of them listen to this, it's not against them. But you bring a perspective of of having more understanding, and do you think that that adds something to your coverage? Um, I just hopefully it adds balance. It adds a different type of perspective, and you know, with play by play. It's less of an opinion thing. Like I've done a lot of sports talk radio. One of the things I haven't mentioned here was the you know six or I think six years that I was uh, on KTIK hosting a sports talk radio show there. And like when you're certainly framing the opinion part of it, uh, that your voice probably carries a little bit more weight there. But like there is certain things where the first person who can bring like trying to come up an example of like during a sporting event like maybe even when fans are throwing stuff or saying stuff that is you know inappropriate to the players who are involved like having somebody who is of color during those type of situations as they're breaking probably adds an element of balance and perspective to the coverage as if it was you know two white guys in the booth and another white guy on the sideline or you know so if you don't have that kind of diversity in the coverage a white producer a white director uh how are you going to frame what is happening here um to make it seem like you're at least representing the views of the players who are probably largely black at least these instances that we've had lately in the nba and then a lot of fans who seem to be white although i don't know if each and every one of them are who are the ones who are throwing stuff and saying stuff and are all out of pocket like who's telling the story how's it being framed and not to say that it's been wrong not to say that the the framing of it for a lot of the traditional media has been wrong i don't necessarily think that it has been but like those are examples of where having a well-balanced roster to go to covering a game i think does matter so we'll get back to sports but i think this is a, is a good segue you wrote uh an opinion piece in the Idaho statesman uh, we just looked it up together it was About a, year, a, year a year ago yeah and and it was really in this aftermath of of the killing of george floyd um and i'm gonna quote a little bit you said because I found this this powerful. You said, the nation has told us countless times that nothing changes unless the people in power are inconvenienced or want it to change. So at least give us hope when the case is as easy and simple as George Floyd's death. Otherwise, how do we know you will care if the hashtag is my name and I'm no longer to alive no longer alive to speak for myself? Yeah. Um, oh, Chris, that's I, I mean <laughs> I think that's the perspective that a lot of black people have and especially a lot of black parents have is about their kids. Like, that's one of the things that my mom worried about. Of course, I think every black parent probably worries about when they're sending their kid away to a place that doesn't have a lot of other black people there. Is that like, all right, don't put yourself in a position to where, you know, it's something where you're in a position where something like that can happen to you. And well, how do you prevent something like that from happening to you? In a lot of these instances where, you know, somebody hasn't done something that's obviously wrong. Right. And, you know, that's 
the dealing with police officers is something that we're taught uh, when we're little to make sure that something bad doesn't happen and we're not the next hashtag. But yeah, it, the, I think what I was trying to get at is this was so obvious. That's what I think it struck everybody like, you know, kneeling on somebody's neck for how long? Like, that's that's insane. Like that. That was nobody could look at that and think of any other thing than that was wrong. So if we can't come to the consensus that this like this is wrong, then how are we supposed to have hope for any cases of gray area? And that's the unfortunate part about gray area is that the other perspective is usually no longer alive to be able to tell their side of the story of what happened. And even if you go into the initial police report for a lot of these uh, cases where it turns out that there was something else that happened than what was actually on the police report. And some of the, especially in the George Floyd case, for example, I don't want to, you know, that one was a found guilty uh, charge. So I don't want to go to a different one where uh, it's still under investigation or a different one where it didn't turn out. George Floyd's just a perfect example. So we can just stick with that. And again, if you can't find that one wrong, then there's no hope for, any other situation to where if you're where the next hashtag nobody's going to believe that you did nothing wrong or nobody's going to believe that the police officer acted uh, irresponsibly and that's just a sad reality to have to face which was the positive part about last June was it seemed like people cared it seemed like there was enough is enough enough black people white people Asians uh, you know Mexican no matter the race no matter the background there was a realization that, okay, this is too much. This has gone too far. And that was really encouraging. So the next step is, okay, what are we going to do about this? Right? What are we going to do about police brutality? What are we going to do about some of the systemic issues that have led to the position that like a lot of black people might be in today? So that was fun to see that people cared. Are we do we still have that same passion a year later? Uh, I don't know. Doesn't seem like it every day where, you know, people have that same fire, that same passion that they had last June. But I do think that we've seen some growth. It was really encouraging to see the George Floyd verdict. That one was uh, if that gone the other way, I don't know what would have happened. That would have been devastating for a lot of different reasons. So I just want to be positive. I want to be encouraged. Um, There are some days where I don't feel as encouraged for sure. There are some times where I read something or see something that makes me sad and, you know, I just uh, shake my head and just move on. But overall, I think this last year has been positive. So you chose to speak out, to use your voice and, and your name. I think you're fairly well known in the Treasure Valley at this point. And well, you my mom knows me, but she's not in the Treasure Valley. <laughs> I don't know how well known. I have some Twitter followers. I don't know, I don't know how know. well known I am at this point. But you, you, regardless, you use your voice and you, you write this piece mm-hmm. uh, in the paper. What was the reaction? Reaction was largely positive, and it's one of the great things about the written word and the responsibility that the written word has. It's permanent. It's something that it's a little bit harder to be misrepresented. Like we're doing this in a podcasting form and, you know, it's harder to come up with words on the spot sometimes that accurately reflect your feelings. The written word gives you the open forum to think carefully about your word choices and think carefully about how you want something to be framed. And especially when you have more words than just like a 180 character tweet or how many characters on 240 240? 240? Okay. I, I forget. I don't know. Too many. Not enough at the 
the same time. Uh, but so having that long form certainly helps you express yourself in a way that you probably can't in any other medium. And largely the feedback was good. You know, have some people who say, oh, this stuff is fake. This stuff doesn't matter. It's just black people trying to play a victim. Yada, yada, yada. You hear that all the time. But luckily, I just kind of have the personality where that doesn't affect me too much, which kind of is lucky. And that's part of this whole industry. If you're relatively a public figure, I don't necessarily think of it as that. But if you have people who are you know, in your Twitter replies or you have people who send emails that say mean stuff, if you're somebody who lets that get to you and ruin your day, then you know, it's probably best that you don't speak on it. And I also don't want to have the responsibility of doing it. And that's sometimes the one thing where, you know, the responsibility of the the fixed racism comes on to to the people who are victims of racism versus the people who are doing the racist acts. Like that's always confusing to me. Like why do we we can't have the, the victims be the ones to have to fix it. It's up to the people who are doing the bad stuff to want to fix it. And society. Yes. It's up to society as a whole to want to fix this. So, you know, that's I have the personality where I don't let it affect me. But again, I don't want to have to carry that burden of having to talk about it. I I want to talk about it when I want to. But it's interesting, like the balance of like you talked about having more you know assignments like the olympics like you know some of the stuff i've been doing recently with cbs sports network which broadens the audience of people who know you like do i still want to have do i still want to be the person on the front lines and using my voice or do i want to rely on passing along the words of others who i trust and believe have a good heart and have good knowledge about this like i almost think that sharing the words of others can be just as productive for someone in my position as having to do that myself. Because again, it can be exhausting if you're the one who always has to do it. Well, I appreciate you doing, doing it with us today because I do know that it is a, it is a big ask. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, I really appreciate you having this dialogue and discussion and getting into an issue that I think is really important in our society. Um, where do you, where does your career go? If you're at the end of your career, and I don't like to think about these things because I don't want to think about the end of my life or career, but if you're at the end of your career and you look back and you go, yeah, I got to this spot. Where I mean, what, what is it? What is that ultimate thing for you? Well, it's funny. The way I usually answer this question is like my career goal is to have the Iron Eagle career where Iron Eagle is the voice of the Nets. Uh, he's doing football for NFL on CBS. Uh, he does NBA for TNT. Uh, he does NFL and other stuff for Westwood One. Like He's just done so many things. Yeah, exactly. He's everywhere. He does such a great job. He's awesome. He has great energy. He works well with his color commentators. His descriptions are off the charts. His humor is great. Like He's just really good at his job. Like, I think Kevin Harlan's really good as, at his job. So, like, I just want to get really good at my job. Like, that would be the goal is to get really good at this. And hopefully that can open up doors uh, to do NBA games, do NFL games, do major college football games, uh, be the voice of a team. Like, I don't want to put a limit on myself. Maybe even, I don't know, host a cooking show one day. I don't know. <laughs> I do like to cook. Yeah, I so, you. I do you like to did. cook. We did a video podcast. Yeah. And you were, like, cooking, cooking with Chris. Yeah. I'm you're trying to hook up, you know, Jamaican oxtail, you're making some chicken dishes, you're making some risotto, some gumbo. So I, if uh, I don't want to limit myself at all. So you don't know where 
the media landscape is going to take you by any stretch. Uh, so try to diversify, uh, diversify yourself as much as possible. Put your foot in a lot of different areas. But yeah, still play that play is my fundamental thing. Uh, doing some TV hosting, radio hosting, adding on as much as possible. But um, I don't want to think about when I'm like, I don't want to think about when I'm 30 and that's next month. So like, <laughs> I just turned 40. <laughs> I don't want to think about when I'm 50. I don't want to think about being a, I'm a Marv Albert's age. I want to still be doing NBA games and Marv Albert's age. That would be fantastic. Dude, I mean, but he was I, like the guy when I was a kid. Yeah. Like, hey, on NBC, like Marv, and he's still at it for a little while. Yeah. He's, he's to finish this year. Years. He's going to finish this year out and uh, that he's going to pass the baton. But yeah, that's a great thing. These are, as Ernie Johnson says, these are get to jobs, not have to jobs. And so many people have have to jobs. And I, I think my, you know, mom and dad, as much as they like their job, I don't think they love their job in that way to where like if they weren't getting paid they would still do it like right like if I were to win a lottery tomorrow I'd still want to do play by play so still run like, our, run Boise Dev yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, no, I get it. so yeah one little thing that came up while I was doing research that I, I just I can get this visual of but tell us about this you've done uh, some practice Boise State football games for your reel or mm-hmm. or just for, for practice I guess from like on top of the stadium yeah tell us about that experience it's fun and it's uh no i guess depending on the weather like if it's really cold <laughs> no it's not that there. fun it windy. if it's really windy there's that what was that game two years ago i think it was against troy the season opener where it was like actually hot we had a day game during the summer and, you know that was when we could get more of those <laughs> like that, that was insane we had a day game uh during the summer which was fantastic but um it's Boise State. They've, uh, you know, for some of the games, not uh, every one of the games, they've let me go up on the roof and just set up my broadcast equipment that I use for women's basketball, calling into my computer. Uh, big shouts to Michael Fisher, who is my coworker at KTIK. I think David McKinsey, who does a lot of media stuff around here. They've been guys who have hopped on the roof with me to be color commentators. But the reason I do it, I just want football stuff on my reel. I just know that, you know, Bob Beeler does a great job calling games with Boise State with uh, Pete Cavender and it's not like Bob's going to ever miss a game. So <laughs> to that guy, <laughs> he's uh, yes, he's the perfect attendance award uh, for a reason. So it's like between him and Paul Jay, nobody's ever called a football game. Yeah, exactly. Ever. Exactly. <laughs> so I, if I'm going to get anything on my reel, it's either going to have to be all right, find some high school games to do, or go up on to the roof and call a college football game. What do you think sounds better <laughs> on the reel? A college football game with the crowd, uh, you know, the big plays, and it always helps. I'm covering Boise State anyway. When I was doing the radio show, I knew so much about the team and knew so much about the other team, too. So it's not like I really even needed to do that much extra prep because I already knew the names and numbers and the rosters and everything like that. So utilizing the knowledge I already have uh, and trying to get better at the craft. And, you know, I think we have a fun time up there. You guys don't get to hear those broadcasts, which if you guys got to hear those broadcasts, sometimes it'd be a little extra flavor from the typical Bob and Pete broadcast. And, you know, especially with Michael Fisher and David McKenzie, sometimes they had an opinion or two that might be different than a Pete opinion. So, uh, but they just stay on my computer. Nobody else hears that. I remember one year uh, they did Spanish language broadcasts 
broadcasts of football games, but they set them up in the press box. Oh, wow. And, like, put it like a curtain up. Yeah. But, like, you could still hear them as That's they were. awkward. And it was, like, it was crazy because you could, like, hear them. And I don't speak Spanish, so I didn't understand it. But, boy, it was it was fun to, like, feel that energy. No, the Spanish broadcasts are always lit. Like, I don't know what it is about the Spanish broadcasts, but they always say they're the best. But, like, I've been in that situation. I don't like that at all. I don't like being in an open press box calling a game. I mean, I'll do it if I have to, of course. But, um, you know, I remember a lacrosse game, Syracuse-Notre Dame, calling that an open press box. It's just like... You get your peers sitting yeah, around it's like, listening yeah, and like, judging. What is, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> like, I would much rather have the own booth. That, I think, makes a big difference. But, you know, I'm just happy to be in arenas. <laughs> like, that's... We can see Anacha's getting back into the buildings anyway. I'm not going to complain where they are in the building or anything like that. And that's the thing, right? So this this coming fall, we're going to be back to... Um, so Dr. Trump, on the last edition of this podcast, actually broke the news oh, wow. that the stadiums will be full. I don't have any news and to break on And then a news here. conference later uh, announcing the same news. I was like, we, well, we, we had that. It's all about exclusive. Yeah, it's got to be exclusive. I, I know. Well, I didn't make a big deal of it because I was like, oh, of course they're going to... But I mean, it's going to be exciting, right? Having yeah. fans back and, and you'll be at those games, I imagine. And, and what are you looking forward to this year? Everything. I mean, yeah, I missed it. <laughs> I watch the NBA playoffs every night. And now that we have most of these arenas that are having full capacity and for the second round, at least, it seems like every announcing team has been in their buildings. It just pops on TV. It pops in a way that it just didn't when they were in a studio. And they did such a great job as much as they could. I know, like, you know, for me doing women's basketball games on the road from the uh, Stickle Sky Center, and we're doing the best we can. And they- So how so were you not in the pavilion the what do they call it extra mile for those games? for the home games yes road games no so when I called road games uh, I was not with the team I was calling them so from the like Sky how, Center I think the pressed a story on uh, Beeler and Abe yeah, and how they were so you did the same yep. crazy so you've got now some experience for table tennis right you yeah. watch remotely calling the game like. I, I think the uh, it'll be at least a little bit easier technology we'll have multiple feeds for the Olympics and we'll also have like the audio in our headset and I think the tough thing for women's basketball it wasn't exactly men's basketball where everything's on TV and they have the effects feed that could be brought into the headsets for Bob and Abe. For uh, women's basketball, there wasn't that, so we just had like fake crowd noise for most of the game. And it's hard to get that energy in your voice with the fake crowd noise. But again, like everybody in the industry has done the best they can from the people behind the scenes to the people on camera to the radio announcers to everybody. They've done the best they can, but I don't think there's one person in the industry who would say that there's no difference between a remote broadcast and being on the scene for it. It's just you cannot simulate the energy. You cannot replicate the timing. It's just a reality that you would to have the best production possible. The announcers need to be in the building. And it's great to see that that's happening for next fall. Uh, if everything goes according to plan and you can have a full stadium for football and Bob and Pete in the booth, although they were in the booth for football last year for home games and road games, so that won't be different. For I know, like basketball, for example, last year the men's team had one of their best seasons yeah. in quite some time. And in that piece that you referenced, like Bob mentioned, as great as the team has been, you just don't have that same connection to the team that you would have in a normal year when you were traveling with them, when you were in the same airports, when you were in the same hotels, uh, when you're just like walking in the hallways and you could see the co- like you don't have that same connection. And 
it's a bummer because that team it would have been fun to have that connection to, you know, unfortunately, maybe March didn't turn out the way that the team wanted to turn out. But like the whole path to March was unbelievable. He saw some great basketball. Even talking to Abe, he's like, I remember him just being like, it's such a shame that the fans can't see this. Mm-hmm. And the team probably would have done even better had they had that energy. And yet, yeah, and they're playing in a building where everybody's spread apart and even the broadcasts were weird. I mean, this fall, do you think football, Andy Avalos, going to change the dynamic and atmosphere? Do you think that's I mean, going to be a game changer? Do they need to change changer? anything? I mean, the results are pretty good. Like, I don't know. They win most of their home games. They win most of their road games. The football team, I know uh, there's always disappointment. They didn't beat San Jose State in the championship game last year. So there's always ways to get better. But, I mean, I don't think you need to change up the game day atmosphere. We just need to experience the game day atmosphere okay, again. Boise State fans, and I'm guilty of this, have 2007 Fiesta Bolitis. It's hard to top that. And yeah. I think we, as fans, will constantly be chasing that high. And I'm not sure we'll ever achieve it again. But who knows? Well, they might change around the college football playoff. Maybe. It seems like they might put 12 teams in there. And if they put 12 teams, Boise State can maneuver their way to be one of them. And, and we've never continued know. to report on Boise State's uh, yearning for new conferences. Yeah, you guys so. out here trying to uh, you know, win all the awards and stuff like that for these stories. Right there. I see. I, I, know, I saw the, the Idaho Press Club plaques as I came in first, here. First, first, no, you yeah. put them right in front center, so as soon as you walked in right here, you just yeah. put the trophies right on the desk. I see how you do. You're like uh, Pat Riley dropping the rings on the table so you can yeah, get LeBron James no, to come. Well, we won one, well, two first place awards and we entered like a lot. So we actually didn't have that great a year, but we'll pretend. Uh, just one award. You know. Chris Lewis, I really appreciate you joining us here on the Boise Dev Podcast. Appreciate it. Thanks so much.